Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Everything uh, that we really want at Calvary St. George's in this community, we who have gathered here together, everything we really want, everything that Jacob wants, camel with his beautiful trill between the first and second verse, he was just feeling it, you know. Uh, Nancy, all of our prayer ministers, Steve, just coming on board, our singers, all of you who God has called here, you, what, what, what we really want, what's in our heart, what we need so desperately is a kind of extravagant love. Just extravagant love. I've always dreamed, dreamed of a, of a community and feel sometimes that it's actually there with us. A place where there's this wholeheartedness in people's care. It's not some little passing phrase. People really feel it. Would you like some coffee, Janet? Yes. Oh, good. You're having some. Yeah. And it's public. It's in front of everybody. I just love you with everything I have and all that I am. And I give it to you, Jesus. And because of that intimacy with the Lord, the intimacy comes freely amongst us. I mean, wouldn't that be really cool? Like if it actually happened? Like all the time, in a real way. If we didn't have to say, well, I'm so glad for the seven minutes of true love that I had last month. That was so good. I mean, if we... If it was really someplace we could count on and know that was, was here for us. Because when our relationship with the one who died for us is right, when, when he's really the Lord, then everything else suddenly gets right. Now, how's about that? Because I'm always working down here. And it's really all about this vertical this relationship with him. That's why St. Paul is saying in the first lesson, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I regard stuff and position as nothing because it's all Christ. I want to know, he says, Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to go where Christ leads me. It's all I care about. I'm all in. And when that relationship is in place, everything is all right. Everything. Anxiety, worry, fear, sleeplessness, loneliness. In fact, when you have a really sleepless night, you're praising Jesus because you had all that time to pray. And when you figure out that you really messed it up with somebody, you're really thrilled about that because you get to figure out how to work on it. 
And when you lose your job, you're really happy about that. I don't mean happy like, ha ha. You know, you call people be miserable. But in some deep, heartfelt sense, you know, the Lord must have something else for me. That's where the hope comes from. It's not that we're unaware of how terrible it is. It's that there's this deep hope inside ourselves that comes from this relationship with this loving God that allows us to look at things in this new way. And here we are today in this scripture with this woman. And she's poor. And she is a woman. And she has no name. I mean, they could have given her Mary. She, don't you think she could have gotten a Mary? Then we would have had seven of them. But she, she goes to him and she touches him and she gives him her perfume. There's this kind of nakedness, this unbridled nakedness in uh, in John, she washes his feet with her hair in the, in, the, in the Revelation. So the Revelation comes to us this way here, and in John it comes, she actually, she lets her hair down before him. Intimate, sensory, passionate love. And I wonder if you feel that for Jesus. I wonder if you worship that way. I wonder how long it's been since that happened for you. I know when I was first here seven minutes ago, um, I was with Jacob on the altar and I felt the Holy Spirit love descending on the congregation. Now it was light. It wasn't a really one of those real, you know, everybody falls down ones, but it was a, certainly a sense of the falling of the Spirit. And I uh, asked him later, I was a little worried. I thought maybe he would, I would have to leave, but he said, I said, did, did you feel it? And he said, yeah, I did. I was uh, teaching this meditation course uh, for uh, people who just came in off the street. And it grew and I was keeping it just with meditation. We would just meditate and breathe, do the breathing and still our mind. I didn't want to go too far. But one time, I, I don't know, I was so bored of the thing that I just said to everybody, I know that many of you, you know, perhaps you're not Christians or familiar with the church, but, but I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit comes tonight and that we're filled. And I told them a bit about the Holy Spirit. And uh, we had our meditation. And we stood up and we raised our, we opened our hands. I had them to raise their hands a little bit, you know, so they'd be a little open, you know, physically. And... Uh, then the meditation was over and this lady came up to me and uh, I'll never forget it. Uh, she said to me, Janet, can you just do that anytime you like? That thing? <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's available anytime you like. I said, you're, just, you're opening your hearts to him and you're taking the risk to love him. And she said, okay. I'm coming back next week. <laughs> now, just isn't it amazing that all of this was going on with Jesus and he didn't have a prayer book? That's a joke. 
this is the, anyway, so it didn't, it's all right, I'll, the timing will get better. I, rem, I remember uh, uh, John Wimber, the leader of the, uh, who started, he's dead now, but he was the leader of the vineyard movement. He, when he was first becoming a Christian, he made, he took a Bible, he actually stole a Bible from the pew in his church and took it home and read it. And uh, he sort of read the New Testament through and through, and especially Acts. And uh, then he came back to church, and he, he ex- described himself as kind of like patiently waiting week after week. And finally, he just couldn't stand it anymore, and he made an appointment with his pastor, and he said to his pastor, um, he picked up his Bible, he said, he said, when do we get to do the stuff in here? When does that come? Does that happen for us? When does that happen? And I know what he was talking about. He was talking about extravagant love. Extravagant, unbridled love. And what, what is the price for not doing that? What is, what's the price for pulling our punches, which we inevitably do? for never really being able to risk love, holding back love from loved ones because of some ridiculous resentment, some unsolved mystery about stuff. He borrowed a book and he never gave it back and we need to clear that up before we're going to have lunch. That's just the way it is. Sort of broken relationships over what? I lent him money, he didn't pay it back. I mean, and you didn't need it. But still, it just lives there. Yes, we will be friends when we work out the situation when you didn't pay me back for the share of your rent. I still can feel, if I want to conjure it up, ticked off at a guy in college who didn't pay summer rent. I am 66 years old. Pulling our punches with our own love, holding back our own desire to be able to be people who love. So we want to be able to love Jesus extravagantly, able therefore to love each other extravagantly. And loving Jesus extravagantly lets us love ourselves extravagantly. Janet, I don't have any self-esteem. Get your mind off yourself and your head on Jesus. You got me? because it'll never work on yourself. But when that's right, this starts to look a hell of a lot better. Have you noticed? Have you seen that at work? So this woman takes a huge physical and emotional risk to declare that Jesus is the king, the king who's anointed to die for her. Kings are anointed in the Old Testament Samuel uses a ram's horn for David. King Uzziah, Yehu, Saul, Absalom. There are 12 of them. She knows what she's doing when she gets up to do this. She knows what it will look like. She's submitting to God's will with her whole self. Peter, remember, was furious. He doesn't want Jesus to die. The disciples try to stop him. But she is in no kind of denial. She knows he will die and that he has to. When we are all on our deathbed, 
Don't you want to see her? She won't ask you to just take another pill. She won't ask you to try a little harder. She'll go with you all the way to where you're going. And what does that submission to God's will really look like? Well, oh my God, we've seen these miracles so many times. And the fellow who comes to mind for me is a fellow who came to a church where I was working and he was very much in trouble and taking a lot of drugs and no money and no place to live and pretty wild and kind of scary. And ultimately, he checked himself into something called the Market Street Mission. And the Market Street Mission is a very tough place. For like nine weeks, you have to stay on the floor and the first floor. And then finally, you get a cot on the second floor. And then you almost get a room by yourself on the third floor. And by month number 10, you get to torture the people on the first floor, as far as I remember. But anyway, he went through the whole program, and after this program, people used to come to the church and the graduates would witness. And sometimes I used to wonder, you know, what will happen to them? And I met him uh, years later when he was uh, the head waiter at a very, very elegant restaurant, a steakhouse. And he was wearing the whole outfit, a suit and everything, you know, a captain's jacket. And uh, he said, I... I got married. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And this week, I put a down payment on our house. Now, he was on a floor. And I'm sure that his head could have told him this wasn't a very nice program. But he didn't care. Because he was ready to submit his whole self, his body and soul and heart and mind, to the king, to the Lord of lords. And he was lifted up. There's joy and happiness in that kind of service. To wake every morning looking forward to the day. Steve, stopped work. Uh, uh, call you out. Stopped work recently. He retired. And now he comes and works at Calvary St. George's. And I just want to say, I mean, you don't have to lie about it, but is there a little joy in that for you? I'm serious. I don't, you know, now you could say no. Well, I, I, I'll pay it, but you know, but it, right? Is there joy in that? And, and I want to ask the, you, is there joy in praying for people? And there's joy, you see, there's, and there's joy in your being here today. Serve the King of Kings. You're in the right place. And wherever you go, you are indeed truly anointed. You know, um, Tyndale, who translated the Bible into English, mo mu much of it, not all of it, much of it, he uh, was in prison, unbelievably cold. When you read his writing and you go to the library in London and you read his writing, all he's asking for is a hat and some gloves so he can do some more translating. He's very, very famous for writing into his diary, if God spare my life ere many years pass, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow and he shall know more of the scripture than the king.
Oh, Lord, he said when he was dying, open the king of England's eyes. So it's public. She's poor. She's the wrong sex. They made fun of her. They ridicule her. They say she doesn't understand about value and money and economy. They accuse her of not serving the poor. And it makes not one bit of difference because she is not asking permission to serve her Lord. And don't you, don't you look at the world for your permission to serve your Lord. You do not need anyone's permission. It's costly, the perfume. Some people say it was worth $300. I don't know what that means. But she gives him what she has because he's the king of kings. Not what she can afford, but extravagantly. And this church is extravagant when you think about it. I mean, look at it. This is ridiculous. I'm told that this was, at the time it was built, the biggest place for public assembly in all of New York City. Now, what kind of chutzpah does it take to make a place like that? And do you think that they did that to show off? Or because, and I pray it is so, they were thinking of the King of Kings, the Holy One. When I was young and going to Central Synagogue, I was, uh, 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 went to Central Synagogue as a youth grouper on 55th Street in Lexington. Uh, I used to want desperately to go to temple in the outfit that I always wore. And there was a uniform in the 1960s. And if, it, if you were with me and you were brought up in the village, you know exactly what the uniform was. It was messy pants, blue jeans, that had holes in them, uh, some sort of uh, either army boots or Converse All-Stars, mine were red, a flannel shirt, a black armband uh, for the war, um, and a daisy in your ear, and a headband. You with me? So I wanted to wear that to temple. And, uh, and many are, uh, of the folks in the youth group did wear that to temple. But one day, the father of the rabbi there, he, uh, apparently from 11 generations of rabbis, he took me aside and he said, I'll never forget, he said, you know, Janet, when we were in the shtetl, we had nothing. We didn't have running water. We hardly had heat. It was a very difficult life we had then. But always, no matter what, we saved our best clothes for Shabbat. Because on Shabbat, we do this for God Almighty. It's good, right? Costly perfume. I started dressing up. I, was, I didn't dress like that anymore. Poor Judas, all wrapped up in fear and condemnation. Worried about change, the cost of working with others. And think of Poland, where now the kingdom of God is present and people welcoming families, welcoming people into their homes, people whom they don't even know. There's more than enough room and food for every homeless person in the entire 
United States. How about some extravagant love? So don't wait. She didn't wait. She got up. She did it. As Jesus says, you won't always have me with you. We are only on this earth for a short time. Don't say to yourself, I'll love like that someday. I'll, I'll spend money extravagantly someday. I'll bow down someday. I'll really get enthusiastic about this thing someday. Do it now with your whole heart, with everything you have. So I, uh, I'm thinking for a minute about when people get, I'm almost, I'm almost done, don't worry, but I'm thinking about when people get prepared to get married. And when they get prepared to get married, you know, you're preparing them and you, I learned to have this test. They would do this online test and it would show what's the difference between one couple, one person in the couple and the other. Like where do they have big differences? And sometimes they'd have like really big differences. Like one of them makes decisions immediately and the other one takes forever. One of them is a slob and the other one is, a, people are starting to look at each other. Um, <laughs> One of them's a slob, the other one's really neat. One of them makes a lot of money, the other one spends, you know, whatever it's like. And so we talk about it in marriage preparation. We talk about how that's going to go. But these people are desperately in love, so they're out of their minds. And they think, you know, they just immediately forgive each other. And they talk that, you know, that whole thing. And they love, they're in love. So it's wonderful and it all works out. But I know a secret. See, I know that they think that when they get married, their partner is going to change. Boy, are they wrong. And they don't just think that. They think their partner's going to change into someone like them. <laughs> right? So here's the deal. If you're lucky enough to be sleeping next to somebody right now in your life, and it's a frog, it's not a prince, would you consider showing some extravagant love and giving that frog a kiss? Because maybe they won't turn into a prince, but you will. Do you get it? Maybe they won't turn into a prince, but you will. And if there's somebody in the pew here at St. George's who you don't know yet, and you take a moment to actually find out what their life is like, and they're sort of boring, <laughs> maybe they'll still be boring. But you'll get a hell of a lot more interesting. Do you get it? You see? And if there's this person at the sandwich shop at Subway who's carefully making your sandwich and you spend a moment to say, how many hours have you been working? And they actually answer that question. You, I have personally witnessed and am presently witnessing that they will give you more turkey next time. 
Whenever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. May we all keep that in our hearts, in memory of her, and tell her story, and tell it with our heart and our mind and our body and ourselves in an intimate, passionate, public, risky, and costly way. Intimate, loving with our whole heart, passionate. I'll be a fool for you, public. I don't care what people say. Risky, I will love whom you love and go where you send me. Costly, everything I have is yours. All my worldly possessions. King of King, Lord of Lords. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.